0: All right, enough of that. I keep thinking there's something I was denounced, but for the life of me, I can't remember what it was. Anyway, it'll come back to me. (coughs) Keep taking the mints, Nigel, eh? (laughs) That's a private joke. All right, uh, I want to speak to you tonight about are you nodding your head or wagging your head? That's a rather long title, isn't it? Are you nodding your head or wagging your head? You will see why I said that a little bit later on in this message. So come with me please to Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 23. Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. And we'll read a few verses, reading from verse 26. And this is obviously speaking about uh, Christ's uh, crucifixion. Now, as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of people followed him. And a woman also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and the hills cover us. For if they do these things in a green wood, what will be done in the dry? There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And When they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand, the other on the left. And when they came, and when they had come to a place called Calvary, there's no place on earth of more significance to the believer than the place called Calvary. For it was at that place that the destroyer of men's lives was finally and eternally defeated. It was at that place, Calvary, that the evil one's dominion that he had over men's souls was finally broken. Thank God for that. So Calvary is forever etched in our hearts as the place of victory the place of victory over sin, the place of deliverance, the place of freedom, the place where shackles were broken, where chains fell off. Calvary means so much to us. The very word Calvary is such a lovely word, isn't it? It's such a a sweet word in the believer's ears. It cheers our heart, doesn't it? It warms our very souls. We sing about it. We preach about it. We talk about it. We witness about it. There's something about the very word Calvary that's lovely to our ears, but actually, the word Calvary in Latin is Calvaria, which means the skull. The skull. And in the original language of the Bible, it's Crown Eon, which is. Craneon is where we get cranium from, which is again the skull, and both Matthew and John simply calls the place Golgotha, which also means the place of the skull now whether it was called that because of that little prominence that has got those indentations that looks for all the world like a human skull, or whether it's because it was the place of public executions outside the city that the Romans used. And perhaps there was maybe several skulls that had been lying about the place. We don't know for sure. But certainly the place of the skull. The word Calvary sounds sweet and it sounds soft and it sounds dear to us. The word Golgotha sounds a little bit harder on the ear, doesn't it? But the term, the place of the skull, it sounds... Very harsh indeed, and it conjures up in her mind a place of cruelty and of torture, a place of death, a place of bloodiness. So either way, Calvary brings to her minds the awful price that Christ had to pray for our redemption. So let's look tonight at that place called Calvary, that awful and yet wonderful place called Calvary. And let's look at the man in the middle. You know, Jesus always, always held the preeminence. Always. Mother, there's a little crash in there if you'd prefer. There's a little crash in there. It's, make sure, fellas, the TV's on. Somebody just check that. Thanks, Johnny. Make sure the heat's on. A little bit more comfortable than going downstairs. Thank you. And so, Jesus always wanted to have and did have the preeminence. Even on the place called Calvary, he was literally the man in the middle. There were crucified two criminals, one on the right hand and one on the left. But see him on the Mount of Transfiguration, in that place where he's talking with Moses and Elijah, those two great luminaries of the Old Testament. And He's in the middle. And even though the disciples, Peter, James and John, are enamored with what they see, these are their childhood heroes with Jesus, but the voice comes from Him. This is my beloved Son, hear Him. The Father making sure that Jesus held the preeminent place in their thoughts and in their hearts. And then of course in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, what do we see? We see Jesus again in the midst, in the middle of all of the seven Golden candlesticks. The seven churches representative of all the churches. And again, Christ himself is in the midst. And so tonight, that's the very place that he wants to hold in my life and in your life. Not somewhere on the side or in the periphery of our lives, but right in the very heart, right in the very center of all that we are and who we are, Christ has to be In the center. That's his place. That's his position. And he'll not take any other place, by the way. He's not going to take a side place. He wants to be in the center of all of our lives. In verse 26, it says, Now as they led him away. At this point, Jesus literally was a dead man walking, as they say. He was a man heading for his execution. As they led him away, this was no orderly leading away. This was not like someone on death row who, the night before his execution, is placed into the death room cell. And he stays there at night, and then the next morning, he literally has just a few steps to walk to the death chamber where he will be executed. And there will be a chaplain or a padre and there will be probably two or three guards with him and that's it. And it will be done privately away from the glare of the wider public. Yes, there may be a few friends of the victim there to see the execution, but there will only be a handful of people represented it. But not so in Christ's life. Not just a few yards he had to walk, but the Via Dolorosa. And in full public view of everyone. Remember Jerusalem at this time is packed to capacity with pilgrims from all over the then known world who had come for the feast of Passover. One of the major feasts. It would be absolutely, the streets would be jam-packed with people. And he'd have to make his way from there to the Via Rosa, to the place of the skull. And everyone would see him. What a long, shameful, humiliating walk this was. And it was no orderly leading him. People would be jostling and bustling and shouting, and there was people crying. It says there was a multitude following him. People would be pushing out of the way, and guards would be there, and they'd be swiping people left and right, and there'd be, there'd be all kinds of clamor going on. In the middle of all of that multitude would be this figure, beaten, whipped, with his beard plucked out. Shameful, humiliating. A great multitude of people followed him, and women also mourned and lamented him. Verse 26, it says, Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Matthew sharing the same story in his gospel in chapter uh, 27, verse 32, it says, and they compelled Simon to bear his cross. This was not something this man wanted to do. He was no criminal. He wasn't going to die. He was there for the feast of Passover this was something that he had been looking forward to for a long time. This is something he had traveled to for a long, for, for, as a long distance. This man came from North Africa to be here. This was the highlight of his whole year. This is the most important day for him in his life. He didn't want to be carrying a criminal's cross. Apart from anything, he would be ceremonially defiled by carrying that. The agony of him being taken out of the crowd to carry this criminal's cross. You can see he wouldn't want to do that, but they compelled him to do it. They compelled him to do it. Now if that was awful and shameful and defiling for Simon the Cyrenian, what must it have been for the Lord Jesus? For the sinless spotless, holy, righteous, pure Son of God. But He did it for us, didn't He? That was our cross He was carrying. He was carrying our sins and our guiltiness and our shame to the place of the skull. He did this for us. We should have died for our sins. But he paid the penalty. He paid the price, didn't he? For my sins and for your sins. So they led him away. And then in Mark chapter 15, and we're coming now to the reason why I gave it that rather odd title. Mark 15 and verse 27. With him, they also crucified two robbers, one on his right hand, the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes. He said, he saved others. Himself he cannot see it. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And even those who were crucified with him, they too reviled him. And they passed by. Imagine passing by the very door of heaven. Passing by the very door of heaven. Passing by the one who said, I am the door. If by me any man enter in, he shall be saved. And they passed him by. Passing by the Savior of the world, the one whom Paul said, there is no mediator between God and men except this man, the man Christ Jesus. Passing by the only one that could bear their sins and take them away. Many are still passing him by today, aren't they? Multitudes are passing him by, some without even a backward glance, some with just a glimpse and then they hurry on to do their daily business or to do their duty, their religious formalities like this crowd did, the scribes and the Pharisees, passing him by. How many are still passing Him by today? Perhaps some of us, for a number of years, we too passed Him by, didn't we? We got on with our lives. Oh, we knew He came, we knew He died on a cross, and to our shame, we even knew He died for us on a cross, but we passed Him by nonetheless. And then it says that they wagged their heads. They wagged their heads. Pilate had written an inscription above the cross. John tells us the full inscription. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Written, and written in Latin, in Greek, and Hebrew the three main languages of the day. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And when they saw Jesus, they wagged their heads. We don't want that man to be our Savior. And they wagged their heads. We don't want the carpenter's son to be our Savior. They don't want the blasphemer, the drunkard, the glutton, the son of Beelzebub. They call them all of these names. And they wag their head. We don't want that to be our Savior. And they wag their heads. And when they read the King of the Jews... They would wag their heads even more. Remember what they said to Pilate? We have no king but Caesar. Pilate says, This is your king. We have no king but Caesar. And they wagged their heads. What a shame. If only, if only they had nodded their heads instead <laughs> of wagging their heads. If only they had a nod at their heads and hailed him as king of kings and lord of lords if only they had nodded their heads and said this is our savior but they didn't instead they wagged their heads and every man and every woman on the face of the earth will either nod their heads in approval and acceptance of Christ, or they will wag their heads in disapproval and rejection of Christ. Every single one will do one or the other. They passed him by and they wagged their heads, the King of kings, the creator of the ends and the earth, the one and the only Son of God instead of kneeling down and paying tribute to his death. But they wagged their heads and they moved on. A few years ago, not sure of the exact figure, some say 50,000, some say 100,000 people and upwards, attended the funeral of Joey Dunlap. Arguably, the greatest motorcycle road racer that has ever been on earth. Certainly has got a fantastic record. And to a man, that great multitude of people nodded their heads in approval of a very likely and lovable man that they much admired. Some for his sport, some because they simply knew the man. And they nodded their head and lauded his passing. A few years ago, George Best, arguably the best footballer Northern Ireland ever produced, some say maybe the best in the world. When he was buried, he was given almost a state funeral. They held it at Stormont, the seat of our national government. even named an airport after him. Multitudes lined the streets, lauding him, nodding their head in approval because of his wonderful gift and ability to kick a football. Not taking that away from the man. But what about Jesus? What about the Son of God? they wagged their heads in rejection, disapproval. Should have been their hero, but they hated him. Should have been their Savior, but they spat on him. Should have stood and nodded their heads in approval and acknowledged him as Lord and Christ and Savior, but instead they wagged their heads and they passed on by. Many are those in Scripture who either nodded their heads and wagged their heads when it came to Jesus. Simon the Pharisee held a dinner for Jesus, his special guest. While Jesus was sitting there inwardly, Simon the Pharisee was wagging his head in disapproval. If this man were a prophet, he would know who this woman is, this woman of ill repute. while he was wagging his head in disapproval and rejection, that woman of ill repute was nodding her head in approval and fell at his feet and anointed him with precious eye. What a difference. What a difference. Who do you think God in heaven was pleased with? Who do you think the angels looked over the balcony of glory and looked at? Who do you think they nodded an approval of? I think it was that woman, don't you? And While the greedy, grasping Judas wagged his head and betrayed the Son of God for a measly 30 pieces of silver, price of a slave, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, They nodded their heads in approval. And he went to Pilate and begged his body to give him a decent burial. Look, chapter 23, again, there's two thieves on the cross. It tells us here about them, in verse thirty-nine. It says then one of the criminals, who were hanged, blasphemed him, saying, "If you are the Christ, save yourself and us." Some of the other gospel writers said that at the beginning that both of them reviled him. And both of them picked up on what the crowd was saying and they flung that in Christ's face too. But then one of them, one of them, instead of wagging his head, he began to nod his head. One of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, do, not even, do you not even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There's so much in that short sentence that the thief on the cross said. I haven't time to expound on that tonight. So much in that. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. One continued to wag his head. One started to nod his head. One was lost. One was found. Hmm? One was forgiven, one was condemned. What a difference it makes. Somebody said, One thief was saved that none may despair, that only one that none dare presume. If only the other one had stopped wagging and started nodding, he too would have been in paradise that day also, but he didn't. It's amazing, you know, The Langs people go to reject Christ. I was thinking this afternoon, there's no logic to it, is there? I mean, why would anybody in their right mind reject Christ? Why would they reject the most wonderful man, the most compassionate, merciful, faithful, long-suffering man? Why would they do that? What possible harm could it be to them? He could only bless them and do them good. Why? Logically would anybody want to reject Jesus? Why would they wag their head? Why did we do it? It's a spiritual thing. It's a heart condition. It's nothing to do with the head, it's to do with the heart. Think of someone who in their 80s, a man or a woman. And they have rejected Christ all of their days. And they may be in their minds at all kinds of reasons. Well, I'm young. I want to have fun. I want to party. I want to do so many things. And, and, and they've lived their whole lives that way. But now they're old, they're in their 80's, their party days are long gone, and nobody's inviting them out to the dinner dances anymore, it's all gone in their lives, they're sitting by the fire, and nobody's coming to visit, their social life is zero, there's nothing more to give up, there's nothing more they can do. There's no more dreams to be fulfilled. Nothing. And still, still they wag their head at Christ. Why would we do that? And you know people like that. And maybe you've got a family member like that. A friend of mine's mother's like that. And I've I've visited the Dear Lady in the Hospital many times and, and witnessed her and talked to her. And I've said why will you not receive Christ? And she couldn't give me an answer. It's a hard thing, isn't it? It's a hard thing. And many will wag their heads into eternity and be forever lost. But even at the very last moment, like the thief on the cross, if they start to nod their head, it's all it takes is acknowledging And saying yes to Jesus. And realizing and owning him as Lord and Savior. What a difference that makes. What a difference it makes to life. When you nod instead of wag. Have you got that tonight? And I'm trusting every one of us in here tonight. At some point has nodded. And said yes Lord. I receive you. I acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. And that was the turning point, wasn't it? That's what changed the whole course of our lives. From that moment to now, we have not ever been the same person. Glory to God. Hmm? <clears throat> but you may know others who has not come to that point yet. They're still foolishly wagging their heads. It's so frustrating, isn't it? you wonder what you got to say or what you got to do or what's got to happen even the very centurion at the foot of the cross said surely this man was the son of god and even if he said was the son of a god even if he said that he came to acknowledge this is no ordinary man Of course, it took fear to do that in him. It took the sun not to shine for three hours. It took an earthquake. It took thunder and lightning. It took people to come out of their graves. He'd never seen that before. He had crucified many criminals, but never once did he see this happen. But you know, he'd been watching the man in the middle. And he'd seen the other two blaspheming and cursing, but not the man in the middle. He watched the man in the middle Gently and compassionately taught to his mother and John. Never seen that before. Surely this man was the Son of God. Trouble was, he nodded his head too late. Was the Son of God. Isn't Christ wonderful? Isn't the gospel great? Wouldn't you like every single person you meet and you know to know Jesus? Every single family member, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, grannies, grandas, aunts, aunts, cousins, aunts, 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 everyone, just to know Jesus. And to see them nodding their head and saying, yes. You know, one of the greatest joys in my life was the night my own father nodded his head and said, I said, Dad, do you want to get saved? And he nodded his head and said, yes. You have no idea in the world what that meant to me that night. Because he had wagged his head, no, many times. Many, many times over many, many years. But that night, he nodded and said, yes. What a joy it was to lead him to Christ. Someday you may be in that privileged position where you too can lead a friend or a loved one to Christ and just see them nodding in agreement and saying, yes, it's time. I'm going to do it. What a thrill that is just to lead a precious soul to Christ. Wouldn't it be great if this year, if you and I, individually, corporately as a congregation, wouldn't it be a thrill if you could just lead souls to Christ? They're not just going to walk in that door out of the blue. Well, it happens the odd time, but it needs somebody to reach out to them. It needs somebody, somebody to invite, somebody to share, somebody to pray, somebody to say, come along, come on. Forget what they might think. Say if they come here, they think we're a bunch of headers because we clap our hands and we... Have a band. It doesn't matter what they think. What have you got to lose? Hmm? They're going to hell, aren't they? I mean, it couldn't get any worse for them, could it? (laughs) So what have you got to lose? They have everything to lose. They've got their soul to lose. But you never know. You may be the one that could invite or could lead them or share with them or something or bring them along the journey of faith to that place in Christ. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Aren't you glad you nodded? Aren't you glad you stopped wagging your head and you started nodding? Amen? Amen? Amen. Good. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your mercies tonight. We, We bless you for so great salvation. We thank you for the wonderful gift of life that you have imparted to each of us tonight. We bless you for it. It's all of your grace and mercy. And we thank you so very much, Lord. Lord, you suffered and you bled and you died. You took the shame, the humiliation. You did all of that for us tonight. And we are eternally grateful for what you've done. And so we bless you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.